may I ask you something? Would you please pray for me? Now you might want to ask, uh, Pastor, what's wrong? And others of you might say, I'll tell you what's wrong with him. (laughs) But that's kind of a common request, isn't it, among Christians? Will you pray for me? And our response is, yes, I'll be glad to pray for you. You see, prayer is, let's say, kind of the mark of a Christian. It's something Christians do. It's something Christians love to do. The Apostle Paul was a great prayer. Before he became the Apostle Paul, he was known as Saul. And he was a fierce persecutor of the church. But after Jesus had appeared to him on one of his persecution journeys and had caused him to go blind temporarily, Jesus then had one of his prophets go to baptize him. Now, could you imagine being that prophet? You want me to do what, Lord? Go to this guy who's a murderous persecutor of Christians and say, here, I want to baptize you as a Christian. But to relieve his distress, the Lord assured him that Saul was now a converted, a changed man. So that he would have a sign of that, the Lord told this prophet, Behold, he is praying. Prayer became a mark of Paul being a changed man. And that mark was seen throughout all of his writings. Paul wrote nine letters that are in the Bible to seven different churches. And to those seven churches... He included prayers for them. Now, there was one church that he didn't include a prayer right away in his letter because he was so astonished that they were giving up on the gospel and instead were relying on their own works to get into heaven. But Paul was praying for them, too. But yet, when we look at all of his letters, what stands out is Paul was bold to pray for his congregations. As we wind up our series of messages on praying boldly, today I'd like us to focus our attention on praying boldly for our congregation. We're going to look at one specific prayer that Paul had to one of his churches, but then pull in a few other references from some other prayers. But what stands out to me in this one prayer is this line, where Paul said, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you. Paul was praying boldly for his congregations. Let's do that too. Now, what would you want to pray for for our congregation? Now, I know every week when we have our Sunday prayers, and you see it listed in the bulletin, we're always praying for certain people, people who are experiencing health difficulties or maybe some other changes or challenges in their life. We love to pray for that. People make that request and we pray. Not only in our church service, but in our small group Bible studies, in some of our fellowship settings, in our prayer chain, we're praying for God's people. But my request is this. What would you pray for for our congregation as a whole, for us in general? Interesting question, isn't it? 
So this week as I was studying those prayers of the Apostle Paul that he used for his congregations, I found that there were seven common requests that he had for his congregation. And I want to share them with you today and urge you to pray these for our congregation. The prayer that he had for his church in the city of Colossae started out this way. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since the day you heard it, that is the gospel, and truly understood God's grace. Now, those words or that thought became a pattern for him in his other prayers for his other congregations as well. For example, when he wrote to the Corinthian believers, he said, I always thank my God for you because of this grace given to you in Christ Jesus. So the first thing Paul would do was always start his prayers with thanksgiving for grace. And that sounds appropriate, doesn't it? I mean, just think about it. As parents, we are always reminding our kids, say thank you, say thank you. When somebody does something nice, say thank you. Did you ever find yourself as an adult having to remind yourself about that too? Oh yeah, gotta say thank you. When we look at what God has done for us with his grace, it's appropriate that we would say thank you. Our anniversary service coming up next week it's about thanking God for His grace. We're doing so under, under the theme, Remember, Rejoice, and Renew. Fifty years of God's grace. We want to recall what He has done and thank Him for His blessings of grace. Now, why grace? Because grace, first of all, is the source of all the other blessings that we receive. I like the way the Apostle John puts it in, in the first chapter of his gospel. He says, And we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. It just doesn't stop. Grace indeed is that source of all the blessings we have from God because it's grace that moves God to do what he does for us. We know that we are saved by grace not by our works. Paul refers to that at the end of his prayer to the Colossians. He reminds them about what God has done for them in his grace. He says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's grace that has saved us. It's grace that continues to bless us. It's the source for all the blessings we have. You know, as, as we go through our life, we experience breakdowns of things or, or certain needs, and we realize that we've got to take some action to fix it or to, to get what it is that we want. And sometimes it's a little expensive or it requires a lot of effort on our part. My van broke down this week, and it cost me several hundred dollars just to replace a wire and a sensor and a couple other little things. So we're kind of in this mindset, if you want it, you've got to do something to get it. But that's not the way it is with grace. God's grace is unearned. God's grace requires nothing from us. Unconditional and unlimited. 
In fact, what it does, it, it helps us then to come to God with confidence to ask for the other blessings that we need. Because grace reminds us everything we have is purely from God's love. So the writer to the Hebrews encourages us in prayer with these words. Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You hear what those words are telling us? You're never going to be turned away. The door is always open. Your prayer will never go unheard. So my first encouragement to you as the people of apostles in praying for our congregation start with thanksgiving to God for the blessings of his grace. The other thing that I saw that was common in Paul's prayers was a request that his people would grow in grace. Since grace is so important, he's reminding his people we need to keep growing in that grace. Here's what he would write. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why grow in grace? Because we have a continuous need for that grace. A need for forgiveness. If you look at, look at your life, look at your day, and, and you think, boy, my day is really filled up. I've got a lot of stuff going on. Look a little bit closer. Look a little bit deeper. You know what else you're going to see? Your day is filled with sin. You know, whether it's little things we do or something big, whether it's something we just kind of do within ourselves, or something we do against others, or if it's something unintentional or intentional, our lives are filled with sin, and we need more grace. The good news is, God gives it. The Apostle Paul stated it so clearly when he said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Not only do we need God's grace for that sin in our life, we also need it for the struggles that we go through and for the suffering we experience. The Apostle Paul knew that well. He suffered from something he simply referred to as his thorn in the flesh. He said three times he pleaded with God to take it away. But God's answer to him was grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is made perfect in weakness. We need grace. We have a continuous need for it. And thank God that we have it. It is a continuous blessing. Now we look at things that we have in our life and, and we consider them blessings, but notice how these things will often wear out, run down, or simply run out or become obsolete. Sometimes that even happens in our relationships with people. We, we have breakups or strains in relationships, and it's usually because, well, I'm not getting from them what I need or what I want. You see how we've turned things around? What, what is it I'm getting from somebody? That's not grace. Grace is giving. And God is always giving to us, even when he doesn't get from us what he desires. 
So the prayer is that we would grow in this grace. Now, how do we grow in it? By hearing God tell us about it in the scriptures. Seeing it when it comes to a child who's being baptized and being reminded that that's my grace in baptism too. Receiving it in the Lord's Supper where we get the body and blood of Jesus in that bread and wine. The very payment that was made for our sins now assures us we are one with God. That's how you grow in grace. Now why pray for that in our congregation? Because we all need it. And what I and and our elders of the church see is that we're starting to slip a little bit in, in, in our worship attendance, in our Bible study attendance. Now, not a huge disaster kind of thing, but over the last couple of years, things have downshifted a little bit. Maybe people are interested in other things, get busy with other things, or maybe just don't consider it that important. I don't know. But what, we, what I do know is Paul says you've got to pray that God's people continue to grow in grace. Now an outflow from that is this request. Grow in love. Here I mean the love that God asks us to show to one another. A love that's reflective of His love, His grace to us. Here's how Paul puts it in his prayer. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel. With similar words, he prayed this for the Philippian Christians. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why do we need to grow in that love for other people? Well, because the sin nature that we have is a selfish nature. It thinks first and sometimes only of itself. That's what we just heard in our scripture readings a few minutes ago. There the Apostle Paul was reminding us, get rid of the selfish ambition. Get rid of the vain conceit like you know it all and you're the best or this is all about you. And put the needs and interests of others first. Likewise, Jesus experienced that with the very men that he was training to walk in his steps. What are you arguing about? They were arguing about who would be the greatest in his kingdom. And he said, get rid of the selfishness and become a servant to others. That's showing love. Well, we all have that sin nature, so we all have that selfish ambition in us. How can we then grow in that love? Let Christ's love fill you, and overflow through you. Did you know that we started a new year this past week? A new year. Yeah, it's called the water year. I never heard of that. But with our attention on the drought now, this radio announcement was just saying simply that the water experts have a certain time frame in which they mark off that they'll measure our rainfall. And it came to an end on September 30th. Interestingly enough, a day we finally had a little bit of rain. Now, we all know we need more rain. And having had that rain the other day, you know, we probably all got a little hopeful. Yeah, maybe it will be a wet winter. Well, those experts are telling us we're going to need more than one wet winter to reverse this drought. We're going to need a bunch 
of wet winters. And so we look at that and realize, okay, I've got to keep conserving. I've got to keep holding back what I use. And we become pretty good at that, right? So telling us now, you've exceeded the governor's expectations of reducing by 25%. You've done 27%. Or uh, in July, you've done 30% now. Okay? And, and we're good at holding back. We hold back on other things, too. You know, we look for good fuel consumption in our vehicles. We make sure we spend our money wisely. We're, we're, we've become pretty thrifty. Maybe even to the point where we're thrifty with showing love to others. How different God's grace is, though. So abundant, so freely flowing into our lives. Look, if you've ever had some doubts or some despairs in your life, didn't God's love, didn't his grace fill that and take it away? That's what he wants us to do with others. Now, while we here on the West Coast are suffering the drought, then we hear in the news of the people on the East Coast, and they're being deluged with rain. They have too much. And we probably think a foolish thought like, oh, if only we could get that water over here. As if there was some big pipeline from the East Coast to the West Coast that could bring us the water we need. Well, you know what? We are a pipeline for God's love to others. Pray that you individually, and that we as a congregation would not hold back love, but find ways to extend God's love to others. Paul then moves on and he prays a fourth request, and that is for discernment. Here are his words. We continually ask God to fill you with a knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. To the Philippians, his prayer was worded this way. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Discernment is simply knowing God's will. To discern means to examine and then determine what's right and what's wrong and what is best. As Paul put it, what's best and pure and blameless. Know what God's will is for your life, for your living individually, and then for our life as a congregation, what he wants us to do. Now, why pray for that? Because it's a challenge sometimes for us to know exactly what that is. You see, we got that sin nature. A sin nature that doesn't want to listen to God. A sin nature that doesn't want to agree with God. And then that sin nature also brings about some, some doubt and some confusion. And then we get even more confused as we listen to the, the ways of the world. Even when we know right from wrong even if we have decisions to make that are both pleasing, we sometimes still don't know what the right thing is. So the Apostle Paul gives us a little advice. Make your discernment focused on that day of Christ, which means the day of salvation. Your salvation, the salvation of others. 
What you are doing, what you determine God's will is for your life, is that in keeping with his goal for you for salvation, for the goal of others, for their salvation. Now, sometimes decisions faced us, and, and both decisions are, are good, but we don't know which one to do. Simply ask God to lead you and understand that he can bless either of those decisions. So there'll be a best and a second best. They're both best and blessed by God. Now, to do that requires some strength. And so Paul prays that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. His fifth prayer is that God would strengthen us. Now, I want to talk to the men for a minute here. If you had a, a, some kind of a building or construction project that you had to do, that was a big thing. Maybe you had to tear some things out, and you had to bust up things. Maybe you have to build some things, and so it's going to require a lot of cutting of wood. Do you want to do that with the old handsaw, or do you want one of those good power saws? You want a power saw, right? Got a big project, you want a lot of power. You're not going to rely on your arm strength to do all that. Okay, now I'm talking to everybody. We all have a big project to do. Building our lives. Building our families on Christ. Our church, our community, the world. That's a big project. Are you going to rely on your own strength to get it done? We can't do what God needs to be done. The conversion and the comfort of souls... Only his power can do that. We'll be the tool, but he will supply the power through his spirit. Power that we need, Paul says, for patience and endurance. It's difficult times. Individually, we may have challenges and troubles. As we live together and work together as a congregation, there are always challenges. We need patience and endurance especially as we live in a world that challenges us and that wants to be closed off. Pray for God's strength. He gives us the reason why we need that strength. He said, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. His sixth request is that we would pray to be productive people. By that, he simply means living worthy of your calling. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you a Christian? With that Christian, I don't just mean what are your sets of beliefs. I mean, are you a Christian in how you live? That's your calling. You are in a relationship, a long-term, lasting relationship with God. Do you show that calling in how you live? Are you worthy of it? That word worthy in the Greek means is it balanced out, like those balance scales in science class? Are you living in such a way that it shows God's grace and glory? To do that gives us then the strength to be productive with the fruits of faith, he said. Bearing the fruit in your life. And the fruit he's talking about is that fruit of the Spirit which Paul listed for us in Galatians. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's quite a checklist. How are you doing? 
You know, as, as we've been hearing so much about the drought, now we're starting to hear some of the lasting effects of it. So this week the news was telling us about the apple crop being poor, the grape crop being poor. But what happens when there's a, a drought of God's grace in your life? The fruit production of these things is going to be poor. What's your production like? Do a check. And ask God to give you the strength through His Spirit to be productive with these fruits. And ultimately, here's the reason why. He said, The true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. You hear what he's talking about? He's talking about coming to know the gospel, and how did that happen? Because somebody shared it with you. He puts it more succinctly in his prayer to the Philippians. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Finally, Paul is asking that we would be in a partnership for the gospel. Now that word partnership is kind of an interesting word because it was also a word that was used to describe the strong wood pieces that were on the decking of a ship that were meant to give strength to the mast. It wasn't just one piece of wood, but it was a bunch of them all put together, joined together to give support. What Paul is asking us to pray for is that we would be connected for support of the work of the church. In other words, he's simply saying, pray that God would connect you to the ministry of the congregation. Now, if you've ever watched the Academy Awards, you know, they have all these different categories that they give, and one is for the best supporting actor. They're playing a supporting role. Well, I want you to pray a supporting role. I want you to pray for us pastors and teachers. I want you to pray for our church staff and all the many volunteers who work here. I want you to pray for the people, for the families of our congregation. I want you to pray for our church body, for our missionaries who are scattered throughout the world, who are facing challenging times also, but also experiencing many blessings. Pray a supporting role. That can be your place on that ship we call His Church, on this journey we call ministry. Well, those are the seven requests that Paul prayed for his congregation, and I'd like you to pray for ours. But I want you to remember one overarching purpose for all of it, which Paul cites in his prayer. Giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And as he expressed it to the Thessalonians, we pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our overall purpose for this prayer is not so that we become some great congregation, that we win some gold star for ministry, or that people look at us and say, wow, do they do things great. 
No, our purpose is about bringing glory to Jesus so that hands that are folded in prayer will also be raised in praise. That's how you should approach your prayers. Is that how you approach worship? Is that how you approach Bible study? Is that how you approach the offerings that you give, the work that you do? It should all be about Jesus. Wow. Encouraging words from Paul. We have not stopped praying for you. So I do have a request, a prayer request of you, that you would pray these seven things for our congregation. Over the next four weeks, there are seven requests, one for each day of the week. Let's pray them for the next four weeks, taking us through our anniversary celebration, leading us, leading us up to the Reformation, where we recommit and renew our commitment to God's Word and His ministry, and let's see what God will do. I'm just asking you to pray boldly for our congregation, fervently with your heart, faithfully with trust in God. Pray boldly for our congregation. Amen.